what I've tried to remember is when my kids spend a weekend with my parents or when they go to a home where discipline is different than the way that we discipline, they always get to come back to us. Yeah. And so anything that they may feel in those places, if, if they're, if they are shamed or if they are punished in a different way that makes them feel like they're bad people instead of just that their decisions were bad, they get to come back to us and we get to speak life into them again. We get to tell them that one bad choice doesn't make you a bad person. 15 bad choices don't make you a bad person. Yeah. And you have nothing to be ashamed of because who you are is good enough. And so I, I just always try to remember that when, when I think about, you know, sending our kids into places that do things differently than we do. Hello, Rachel. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. So, Corey Miller in the chat says, make sure you are recording. And I'm going to, I'm just glancing over and we are in fact recording. Yeah. So, if you're hearing this, it means that the recording worked and we didn't have to start over halfway through our show. <laughs> yes. No, nobody, nobody has to know, though, so, Corey. It's okay. Corey Miller and Kyle Adams from the Sean West community. Uh, also, Corey Miller is a part of the Sean West team. They have a fantastic podcast called Behind the Brand. You should check it out, behindthebrand.com. There are so many great shows on this network. Yep. You actually, Rachel, you listened this morning. Yeah, I listened to a little bit. Yeah. And you, and you hardly ever listen. Like you don't even listen to the Sean West yeah, podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm really bad. Do you even listen to this show? Um, when I'm here, yes. <laughs> you mean like while you're in the room actually I, I listen to it live. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's good. Live I is- just, you know, my time is really, really short and... No, I, t- I totally get that. Um, yeah. The live listening experience is where it's at. Yeah. I agree. Now I'm trying to think. Behind the Brand launches on October 10th. That's So as of this recording, it's already available on iTunes. Oh, yeah. So... Not only should you go to BehindTheBrand.com, you can listen to some brand new episodes from this brand new show on the Sean West Network hmm. by the time this show goes out. You should also go to BehindTheBrand.com slash iTunes and leave them a positive review. I mean, check out the show if you need to, but, but take my word for it. It's high quality stuff. All right, then. Do it. <laughs> All right. So today... We were talking about healthy parenting when your child is at a friend's house. And I think I had a question about this from somebody in the chat. And that's, it it got me thinking about an experience that I had with our oldest son, Jaden. He was over at a friend's house. And this is somebody who's in our neighborhood, somebody whose parents I had met before. And, and I, I didn't really, I, I was, when I was growing up, my parents were 
extremely hands off mm-hmm. when it came to whose house I was at or where I, where I was, you know, even spending time in the neighborhood. They they didn't know most of the time. I think as I got older, they they wanted me to because you know, like the older the older you get, the more capable you are of having bad influences around you and that kind of thing. Yeah, where where you could really get into some serious trouble. So maybe, maybe as a kid, it was like, oh, he's just a kid. He's not going to do anything, you know? So I, I kind of followed the lead, I guess, in the sense that I didn't really vet the, the places where our oldest Jaden was spending time. And so one day I, I called over, I said, Hey, it's, uh, it's time for him to come home. And I, I can't remember, but for some reason I ended up going over there and I walked in the house and this is Jaden's maybe like six or seven years old yeah, at this point. He's pretty young. And I walked in the house and, um, and they said, Oh, he's, he's, uh, playing upstairs. And I walked through the living room and somebody's playing a Deadpool video game. And if you know the character Deadpool and the, the video game for that character, it's pretty racy. Like I, th- I think the, the rating is that it get it gets an adult rating because of how foul the language and the content mm. is. And then there was some other stuff like they they had given him some treats and snacks and stuff like that that we didn't like they they didn't really tell us about. That was really my first experience where I was like, oh man, you, like other other people and I knew this, but yeah. but it was it yeah. was like other people's families are not like our family, right. And not that our family is better. No. That's not th- what you're that, saying. It's, that's absolutely not yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. But other other people's families have different values from right. my family. Mm-hmm. And and I was I was just really made aware of that. And so it really changed my perspective on how I wanted to engage with our kids and the time they were spending with their friends in other people's homes. Right. So how about how about you? What what was your experience growing up? Uh, I mo- I mostly grew up in a small town, so my parents pretty much knew everybody. But we didn't we didn't live in like a neighborhood type. You know, it was like out in the country. So in order to get anywhere, my parents had to take me. So they pretty much knew all of my friends' families and that kind of thing. And so I don't think that there was ever a time when I went over to somebody's house where. My mom didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Uh, but she did have a hands-off approach because she trusted us and she trusted our friends' families because she knew them. You know, she was a she was a librarian in the local elementary school and so she knew all of the families and uh I guess, you know, you can <laughs> this is kind of sad, but when when you're a teacher in the schools, you kind of know which families are I guess managing well and which ones aren't really you know yeah. like ours is probably not managing well right now <laughs> well and and there's also i think what was true more back then was and and it depends on where you live too so you grew up in a small town where i lived was a relatively small town and people knew each other a little bit more but i but there's also even even in large cities or subdivisions there was more of a sense of community, you know, people just, they had a tendency to get to know one another. And, and even if there were differences in their values and stuff like that, everybody just kind of saw themselves playing 
the same role of of raising and protecting right mm-hmm. these kids. Yeah, we kind of had more of a I guess a village mentality, especially being from a small town because yeah, all of the kids were everyone's kids, and we don't really live in that reality anymore. Well, and and I'm I feel a little ashamed to say that there are some of our neighbors who we we had lived here for several years before mm-hmm. I even met them and and knew their names. I mean, even our neighbors just across just across the way, I barely know. And our yeah. kids play with their kids all the time mm-hmm. in the just here in the cul-de-sac. But to be fair, we're usually outside in our cul-de-sac. Like it's easy to meet us too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because we're out there a lot. We play with their kids and our kids play with their kids. And... But you, you could you could stand on the sidewalk and say, well, we're out here. Yeah. And, and yeah. still not take the initiative that you could. Right. So, so so all that to say we live in sort of different times for the whole, you know, our kids having friends and knowing each other and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to make a blanket statement and say that it's this way far and wide, but definitely in our neighborhood, what I've observed is that people tend to just keep to themselves and, and be fairly private. Yeah. What, uh, what's interesting is we have a neighbor up the road who just moved here from Michigan. Oh, really? I believe. Okay, I didn't realize they had moved here from there. And the experience that I've had with them so far has been very different. Like it's it's been very much, oh, let's yeah, let's connect and our kids are playing together, we should know each other and and there hasn't there hasn't been I I don't get the same sense of oh, I'm, you know, I'll keep to myself and you keep yeah, to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, maybe it's a regional thing. I don't know. But it, it really is interesting to me that the experience hasn't been quite the same as what we experienced when we were growing up. Yeah. Maybe that's part of why, you know, I've been not just hands off, but but also kind of just keeping to myself as a default. You know, I, I actually have to make an effort and, and it it doesn't feel quite as natural for me to walk up to somebody's door and knock on the door and introduce myself and have a conversation. Yeah. Which is weird because of your personal personality type. Yeah. I think, I think with practice I'll get a little bit better, but you know, today one of the things that we're going to talk about is how it's not, it's not just a personality thing, but there are some rights and responsibilities that we have as parents that should embolden us to, take those steps, not in a way that's confrontational, but in a way that helps us to feel comfortable acting within our, our role. So we'll get into, we'll get into more of that. All right. So I want to talk first about our job. I don't know. I don't know if I like that word, our role mm-hmm. as the parent in the situation is we protect our children and we also teach them. I mean, this is, this is really in general. We, we protect our children. We keep them safe. You know, like we, we want them to survive into adulthood. And then we teach them what we know so that when they become adults, they're equipped with the things that they need to take care of themselves and have healthy relationships and that mm-hmm, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's really basic. And the protection is, it's physical, you know, protecting them from physical harm. It's emotional, protecting them from things that can affect them negatively emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean sadness, but, but I'm, I'm, or, uh, or anger, like protecting them from things that would, that would trigger those emotions. 
but protecting them emotionally in the sense that we're not allowing their spirit to be broken by something that we really should have kept them from experiencing, mm-hmm. like uh, like some form of abuse or, or something like that. And then mental, you know, protecting protecting them as they develop mentally from things that would hinder their development and keep them from gaining the kind of understanding they need to engage the world around them. Okay. All right. So that's, that's the protection part. The teaching part sometimes is really hands-on and it's, it's really about, you know, coming alongside them in their experience and telling them, okay, this is what you experienced and here's what you need to know about that. Here's, here's what you can do in that situation. Just, just really being about imparting your wisdom and your experience. And then there's also, there are also times when it's appropriate to have a more hands-off approach where you allow life to be the teacher, the experiences that they go through and the consequences they experience from those things. Sometimes even consequences that are somewhat harmful, that do bring some pain or sadness you know, that, that can be in the right context, that can be a healthy thing. And that requires us sometimes to do something that is uncomfortable as parents, which is to take a more hands-off approach and allow them to experience those things when it really is within our power to keep them from experiencing them. Hmm. And that's a hard thing. I, I don't hear you saying much, but I'd like to know what you think about that. What, it- I, what I just said about, so for example, if they are riding their scooters around and we tell them, well, you, you have to wear a helmet, knee pads and elbow pads. And they say, no, I don't, I don't want to wear all that stuff. Part of what could be the hands-off approach is saying, okay, you've got to wear your helmet and your knee pads, but you can go without your elbow pads. Give, letting, letting them maybe choose yeah, what, the- and, and if they fall down and they scrape up their elbow, they've learned a really valuable lesson. They're not going to die from getting a scraped up elbow. Yeah. Um, and, and that is painful, but it, it's something that they experience as a result of their choice that didn't kill them, mm-hmm. um, that didn't leave them scarred for life necessarily, but help them experience the real consequence of that choice. Yeah. So are you asking me what I think about having them experience the consequence? Well, I'm sorry. I just, I lo- kind of lost the question in there. Oh no, it's okay. So I, I was, as I was talking through that, I, I didn't hear much feedback from you. So I was, I was thinking that maybe you had some thoughts on it too, that you were waiting to share and I wanted to hear them. No, I mean, considering our boys don't even wear helmets. Wait, can that get us in trouble? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, (laughs) the, uh, I don't know. The natural consequence thing is good, but I think that, I think that we need to have, I guess, just a case by case situation. Right. So there's there, I'm not going to be able to throw out specific examples and tell you, okay, so in this scenario, you use a hands-off approach in this scenario, you really do have to understand your child it depends on their age and the level of responsibility they have mm-hmm. because something that something that a 3-year-old who is maybe mentally or, or emotionally mature for their age mm-hmm. could handle will be different from what a 7-year-old who is very 
you know, physically right. mature, but emotionally is, is still. Yeah. So, so in the, ex, in the example of when our son went to this person's house and somebody was playing a violent video game, that would be a case where I would definitely step in and say, Hey, you know what? We're going to hold off on going to this person's house for a while because you're not quite ready to handle the emotional maturity that comes with seeing something like that and, and being okay with processing it. So, so I agree with that, but I also want to get into a different approach that we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more. Okay. There's, I, I feel like there's a step before that step of saying, well, you can't come over here anymore. And we'll get into that. Okay. So, so really between protecting our child and allowing and, and teaching them or allowing them to have experiences, there's a balance that we want to strike. When, when they're over at a friend's house, when they're in a different environment, it, it is an opportunity for them to experience values that are different from our own, mm-hmm. to, to experience how other people live, the, the way that they talk, the way that they behave with one another. And that's really valuable. It's, it's really good for them to have experiences outside of their own home and, and the set of values that they're very familiar with. And at the same time, we really want to, we, we, it is within our rights and it's something that we should do as parents when there are things that are non-negotiable, parts of our values that, that we really cannot bend. Those expectations need to be held even if those values are different from the values right. of the friends where they're, where they're spending time. What's good for us to do as parents is to make a distinction between what is truly a non-negotiable and what is something that can be negotiable because we're okay with them having experiences outside of what, what they're familiar with in our right. family. So an example of that for us, a non-negotiable would be something like if one of our kids had a food allergy. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no way we're going to allow them to have that food and we're going to go over the top making sure that the parents understand this is something they absolutely cannot have. Or, or maybe something like child diabetes. I just had a friend post the other day about her son going to a friend's house and like he was fed a bunch of sugar and he has diabetes and he can go into like shock, you know, because of that. And that's, that's a non-negotiable. If, like, if you need is, to know my, my child's health concerns. If this is the kid that I'm thinking of, this is, this is actually an older child yeah, mm-hmm. who really does know better. But so, so there's, this is the thing. You can't really assume anything about the age and level yeah. of responsibility of your child in those situations because this, this child is old enough to understand, to, to have a comprehensive knowledge of the effect that that could have on his right. body. He's been to the hospital before for it. Right. So. But there's, there's this thing, you know, where like, especially when we're young, we feel invincible, like, oh, that's not going to, like, it's, it's going to be fine. And it's, that's, that's kind of an emotional maturity thing more than it is a mental maturity thing. It's, it's understanding your own humanness and, and understanding how the things that happen to you don't just affect you, but affect the people who care about you, you know, that, that level of empathy. And so it's important it's important not to make assumptions about what your child 
and, and if you have a close enough relationship with your child, those are, those are some things that you should be able to detect. You should be able to see, you know, this really isn't something they're responsible enough to take care of on their own mm -hmm. to assert themselves. And so I need to make sure that I communicate with the other parents and let them know what's going on. So the, the age and responsibility thing really is all about just knowing your child, knowing what level of responsibility they have and knowing how to compensate for that in the way that you communicate with, with the other parents. But going, going back to having these experiences outside of our own family, there's what I would, a word that I would use to define or describe that is community. Mm -hmm. Community is really meant to be, it's, it's people that may have similar values, but are unique family units in and of themselves. And there's tremendous value in being raised in community, not just being raised in the bubble of your own family right. unit and set of values, but being raised and exposed to other, the, the way that other people do things. And that's why we've talked about in the past how, how good it is for our children to have experiences outside of our own country, you know, where, where the customs and languages and all of those things are completely different. Mm -hmm. Well, and we just, uh, we just had a conversation around the dinner table and here's where I get pretty fiery about things. Yeah. Um, our, our six year old came home and he, he said something about a student in his class who was weird. And I said, well, you know, weird is not a very kind way to describe somebody. Um, and he said, well, but he's, he's just really different from us. He goes out of our class and he, um, he slobbers a lot. And so, you know, like I understood from that, that this kid is probably a special needs child. And so we had a great conversation about people being different from us and that yeah. different doesn't mean bad, but it just means different. And so, you know, sometimes people are born with these things that they're unable to do but they still have something of value to offer to the world. It doesn't matter if they're different. It doesn't matter if, you know, they can't keep their slobber in their mouth. Just because of those little handicaps, that doesn't mean that they have nothing to offer to the world. And, you know, it, it, it's good for our kids to be in community with these people because they get to understand ways that they can help and ways that that can shape their own values because, you know, his, his friends were talking about this little boy talking about how he's weird and all of this. And I said, you know, one of the things that we can do is we can be brave and we can say, you know what? It's not a kind thing to, to be talking about him like this. Yeah. And I want to teach my boys to be brave like that, you know, because it's not okay. Well, and, and sometimes I, I get the sense I'm, and I might be a little bit, I, I you know, I have this tendency to like try to see the good in everybody and, and yeah. give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I imagine for five and six year olds. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They, they don't really understand what they're saying. No. And, and they don't really grasp the meaning of that word. But the, the conversation that you're having was right on when you and, and here's what it boils down to with community, with being exposed to people who are different. And when when you can see and accept the value of somebody who is different from you, it helps you to solidify your own sense of value and worth. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how important that is, how important it, it is to feel secure in your sense of self-worth. And so the, the more you're exposed to other people and, and you see that they're different, but that 
you can also have a relationship with them and that you can get value from them, even though they aren't the same as you. Mm -hmm. It, it really benefits everybody. Yeah. I think you even told me at the dinner table, like, Hey, simmer down. You're getting a little, (laughs) our poor, our poor little boy is like, I didn't mean anything by it. (laughs) He wasn't in trouble. Yeah. I just had to, I had to chat with him. That's good. So here's, this is, this was the part that, and, and it is weird. Like you said, I'm an extrovert, but I also feel a little bit timid in some ways when it comes to like, like I just, I have my own life and my own way of doing things. And I don't really, unless it's somebody who I already feel a connection with, you know, through a mutual friend or something like that. Like I don't, I don't naturally feel the need to reach out and introduce myself and stuff. But when it comes to our kids, it it goes back to that first role of protecting, you know, it, it's, it's within our rights to understand the environment where they're spending time. Mm-hmm. And certainly as they get, as they get older, as they take on more responsibility, they take on more of that role of making the decisions and, and the distinctions that, that keep them safe. Mm-hmm. But we, we do that in partnership with them. And, and, and certainly when they're younger, we carry most of, if not all of the weight of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to be careful because I led, I led with that story of Jaden and, and these folks. And again, it wasn't, one of those things where I'm like, oh, these are bad people. They shouldn't be right. spending time there. But what I could do in that situation is actually get to know them, introduce myself, talk talk to them, get to where I can start to understand their values. And that's easier for me because I'm an outgoing person. That can be pretty scary for some folks. And so I I want to encourage you and challenge you that this is a way that you keep your child safe. Mm-hmm. This is a way that you understand where your child is spending time. And most of the time, if not like 99% of the time, when you get to know somebody, you, you break down any assumptions that you might have. It takes away that fear factor of, well, are they going to be nice people, whatever. Most, most folks are just folks. Yeah. And we also, in, in doing that, we get to model to our kids what it looks like to have healthy relationships, you know, and, and to meet new people. Yeah. And and so it takes, it takes some time and practice, but eventually you can get to a place where you feel pretty comfortable doing this. It's just like your normal mode. And some of our really good friendships have come out of meeting friends of our kids and their parents and mm-hmm. getting to know them. And so there's really, there's really a lot of great benefit to be had there, but it is, it's within your rights as a parent to meet the parents or the guardians of the people who, whose house your child is going to be in. It's, it's within your rights to come in and understand the environment that they're going to be spending time in. And you also have a right to establish Boundaries and expectations, going back to those things that are non-negotiable, you know, saying, 
it's okay for my kid to do this, this, and this, but these are things that we don't bend on. Now, there was a great question that I want to bring in here from Sharla. And this, she was actually asking the question from the standpoint of these, the other parents are friends of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says, when we're at someone's house and the kids are playing with friends, I have a hard time figuring out how to remind my kids of our rules without making it look like I'm passive aggressively telling my friends their kids should behave the same way. How can I remind my kids of what our values are without worrying about putting our friends on the defensive? And honestly, the the best thing that you can do is to focus on the relationship, the connection with those other parents. And when you're talking about your values, talk talk about it in terms of this is our family, but but you really you really do want to go out of your way to throw some language in there that helps them understand that you're not imposing your values on them. Mm-hmm. That you understand that every family does things differently. And that's absolutely okay. There's Their set of values is not l- more or less valid than your set of values. And at the same time, you can't f- feel like you have to tiptoe around that every time right. you need to was, reestablish those yeah, things. Yeah, I was going to so, say something about that. What's going to happen is if they do get on the defensive, you reestablish the connection and you help them understand by being consistent with them that the relationship with them is more important than whether their values match your values. Mm-hmm. I've had this approach with other things before too, where it's like if if you have a belief or you say something or you do something or you don't like the way that somebody is treating you and, and you have to put your foot down. If the relationship really is important to you, you have the freedom to assert yourself, to put your foot down, to, to draw the boundary. And they may react negatively to that. But if you're consistent with them in the way that you show them that the, the relationship that you have is important. And with, with other parents, you know, the, the relationship that you have with them on some level, whether it's, you're just acquaintances or you're really good friends. You know, there's, there's a connection there that you want to maintain. And so the consistency is what's going to trump those negative reactions they might have to you putting your foot down and establishing those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think also <clears throat> I probably feel this more than you do when I'm at, you know, like when we go have dinner with somebody else and our boys are doing something and we're like, Hey, this isn't really how we do things. And I just, you know, I I feel like because we're at somebody else's house, it's not really my place to do that, but it, it really does boil down to which values are you not willing to, you know, skimp on. And it it may be that you have some things that really should be in the negotiable category in that scenario, mm-hmm. but you're treating them like they're non-negotiables. Right. And, and, and it can be complex too. If you're over there and you don't fully understand the values of the, the family that you're spending time with and you're concerned that maybe your kid is acting outside of their values. And th- this is where I have... I, I don't I don't know if I want to call it this, but it's kind of like the highest line. So it may be that something is allowed in your home and it's absolutely okay. But the family where they're spending time has a rule about that that is more strict 
Mm-hmm. And, and so in that, in that case, it, it, it really should be the stricter rule that is adhered to. You know, there's, there's a level of respect that you get to teach your children in that situation where it's, where they understand, even though this is something we can do at our, at our house, this is a different environment and that's not allowed. And we need to be respectful of that because that's this family's value and we're in their home. Right, right. But also, if something is allowed in their home, but it's a non-negotiable for you, then that should be adhered to. Mm-hmm. Even though in that environment it may be allowed. Yeah. And and again, here we're talking about the non-negotiable things. And, and, and I really... I, I want to make sure that we leave enough room for our children to experience the negotiable things so that they can get the value out of being around uh, other sets of values. And Yeah. And when I, when you're talking about that too, I think of, uh, you know, when, when our kids go over to a friend's house and we're not there at all. Um, but we have a relationship with a couple of our kids, friends, parents where if if they want to give them a snack or something, they'll even text us before they do and just say, yeah. hey, I was going to give them this. Is that OK? Um, because sometimes, you know, like it's too close to dinner and we don't want them to even give the kids a snack or we just need them to come home or whatever. And so having that level of communication is really helpful. I wonder if we're talking about the same friends, but I, I feel like there there are some friends that don't text us. Like I, I go to pick them up and they're like, oh, he had five smooth, uh, he had five Go-Gurts and a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> All right. Oh man. That we, I had to put that stuff in the negotiable category because. Yeah, I know. Some, and sometimes you will when you, when, when you get experience with a lot of, uh, because, okay. When you get experience with a lot of different friends and I think at first when we were parents, we, we just, we had this idea that our kids' friends would always come to our house and they do come to our house a lot, but our kids also want the experience of being in somebody else's house. Yeah. And so we've had to let that be, I guess. Now, when they're teenagers, I'm sure we'll be shipping them off somewhere to somebody else's like, house. Just, because... get, just get out of here. <laughs> Please don't come eat all our food. I don't know. I <laughs> I always wonder if our desire to be the the cool parents where all of the kids decide to come and hang out had more to do with our egos. Because it really is like it's good for them to have both. It's yeah. Good, it's good for their friends to come over and for their friends to be in a different environment. Yeah. And for, and for them to have that, exp- you know, like people behave differently a l- just a little bit they curate themselves depending on what environment they're in. And when they're in an environment that's not their home, they get to, they get to see how that affects them. You know, yeah, I think that's really interesting. But for me, it was more about protection. Yeah. I wanted to protect them from the things that I couldn't, which I guess boils down to control. Really. (laughs) I wanted to control what they were exposed to. Yeah. So, so, you know, like there, there are definitely things that you should protect your children from, but, that goes back to striking that balance. You know, what, what can you allow your child to experience? I mean, if Hosea goes over to his friend's house and he has five go-gurts and then he is in a 
really terrible mood, like we get the consequences of that too. Because he gets a sugar high and then the crash that comes from that. Yeah. But we can also tell him, you know what, you had a lot of sugar. And the reason you're having a hard time right now is in part because of how much sugar you consumed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's he's five. He probably doesn't care. He doesn't care because it's like a moment, you know, it's that moment of sugar. (laughs) So this is this is the best thing that you can do when when establishing that connection with the other parents and really just everybody involved. It's it's a team mentality. It's not I have my house and you have your house and they're in your house, but they're my kid. It really it really is. Hey, we're all on the same team here. And and this is the way that I like to think about it. So so for example, if it's Jaden, I I would say, you know, to the parents, for us, for Jaden's friend and Jaden himself, like we're all of us together are on the same team and that team is team Jaden. Mm-hmm. And our goal as the team is to the the common goal is Jaden's safety and well-being. And I have my set of values and you have your set of values and and there's some back and forth that goes with that. Ultimately though, we as the parents as the parents of Jaden are the captains. We're the we're the team captains of team Jaden. But we're all on the same team. The reason I love that mentality is because it takes it takes away that whole barrier of, you know, us against them and our values versus their values. And it, it really has us working toward a common goal. And this is where I will draw the line and say, no, you can't go over to that house anymore, is when the parents will not or cannot fulfill their role as mm-hmm. a part of that team. And it, and again, the goal of the team is the safety and well-being of my child. Mm-hmm. If you cannot or will not fulfill that role, I can't in good conscience, in good conscience, allow you to be in that environment. And that's hard. There was a there was a question yesterday because I, I kind of mentioned that we were talking about this. This is from Amber. Said my nine year old's best friend has parents that I don't trust to put it bluntly, but I don't want to punish her or her friend. So I'm not really sure how to handle it. Is that something I should try to explain to her at such a young age? It's difficult being the responsible one. The The older your kids are, I don't know. I mean, even it doesn't really matter the age. Sometimes it's just really difficult for our children to get outside of themselves and understand all of the things that are going on in that situation, even when they're older and they have the ability to understand those things. Yeah. Because they're such an emotional, you know, it's, it's my friend. I'm just going over to their house. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to establish a connection, you're trying to have that team mentality and the parents are not cooperating and, and don't want to be in that role and will not work with you you're not at fault. You're not in the wrong protecting your child from that situation. And so I just, I want to give you that freedom too. And it is, it is delicate. You may have to have a conversation with your child and they won't understand and they'll feel like it's unfair and they'll be really frustrated with you. And that's just a part of being a parent. We have to make those decisions sometimes that make it feel like, our child hates us 
and, and feels like we are just trying to be mean and do something that they don't like and that's unfair and because they they don't understand it. Yeah. One of the things that I try to remember is that the kids that my kids are hanging out with, um, who their parents are, whether or not we agree with them, it's not those kids' fault. Absolutely not. And so that's that's one thing that I want to be really, when talking to my child, because I'm not saying that you cut off that kid and that relationship. It's just that they they can still spend time together, but they cannot spend time together in that environment. Right, because, exactly. Because the parents are not on the same team. Mm-hmm. So the solution to that would be to find a different place to spend time together. Right. So, you know, going to a public park or having the kid over to your house, whatever would be the case. Um, the other thing that I, this, this doesn't have to do with uh, our kids going to friends, but I was just thinking about the whole, you know, our, our boys spend a lot of time with my parents and that sort of thing. And they, they do discipline differently. I mean, I, I grew up in a home that did discipline differently than we do. And so we were, we were very vocal about the way that we discipline our children. You know, we, we don't use things like shame or even punishment, but we use natural consequences. And trying to get our parents to understand that was really, I feel like it was pretty difficult. And, you know, using that in an example of uh, a kid, one of our kid's friend's parents who use those different kinds of discipline formats, you know, that becomes a really just eggshell land there. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, maybe like a mine almost because I don't know. It's just, it's really hard to talk about those things with other parents because it's very personal. And if we, if we tell other people how we're doing things, it almost feels like we're saying the way that they're doing things is wrong. And so what I've tried to remember is when my kids spend a weekend with my parents or when they go to a home where discipline is different than the way that we discipline, they always get to come back to us. Yeah. And so anything that they may feel in those places, if, if they're, if they are shamed or if they are just punished in a different way that makes them feel like they're bad people instead of just that their decisions were bad, they get to come back to us and we get to speak life into them again. We get to tell them that one bad choice doesn't make you a bad person. 15 bad choices don't make you a bad person. Yeah. And you have nothing to be ashamed of because who you are is good enough. And so I, I just always try to remember that when, when I think about, you know, sending our kids into places that do things differently than we do. Yeah. And and again, if it's one of those things where the discipline style of somebody that they're going to spend time with, i I would guess that this is probably less pertinent in the conversation that we're having about friends because the the most discipline I might have for friends of our kids that come over is is telling them, oh, no, that's not something that we do, you know, and and just, you know, being firm about it, but not like I'm going to call your dad. You know, I don't it, it's never gotten to that point, but but if it is something that's non-negotiable like we don't spank Mm -hmm. that's non-negotiable to us so 
So if that's a non-negotiable, then it is okay to create that boundary. We don't shame might be, and you might have to define that a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and again, it comes back to, this isn't, this isn't you asserting your values and saying, you have to have my values too. Mm -hmm. This is, we're all on the same team. And because I'm the team captain, I get to decide which values are most important to uphold for my child, even when they're not in my environment. Right. But, but that, again, is not a judgment of their values. It's just upholding your own family values. There was one last thing I was going to go into, and this is a little bit, uh, a little bit of backpedaling, but the, the relationship that you establish with the other parents, if it becomes a friendship or if it's an existing friendship and you have kids and, and they, you know, kind of grow up at the same time and, and that kind of thing, it's, don't just assume because you have a pre-existing relationship, because you have some rapport and you have this friendship, don't assume that all of your values are the same. You can actually assume the opposite, that, that your values, as similar as they may be in some ways, are unique. And so it's good to have purposeful, healthy conversation around the difference in those values. And, and the great freedom that you have in a friendship relationship is that there's something that's already, you know, there's that connection that's already established and you can talk about values without coming from, without coming from a place of judgment. You can, you can build in that mutual understanding of, you know, we're just unique families and we each have unique values, but it's, it's good to be purposeful about having that conversation and to not assume that all things are the same. Right. And ultimately just as much as you can reinforce that team mentality, Mm -hmm. regardless of your level of relationship. I mean, that's, that's going to be the thing that really glues all of it together is that team mentality. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to get into a few questions. This one was from Corey Miller. Okay. Who we talked about at the beginning of the show. He asks, is it better to be preventative when it comes to handling issues that may arise at a friend's house or is it better to educate by experience? So this is, this is kind of like, do you, do you sit down and have a conversation with your child beforehand or do you wait and let them experience things and then have the conversation with them after the fact? And I would, I would say the answer is both. Yeah, I think so too. You definitely cover the non-negotiables. And there may be, there may be some things in there that are attached to the non-negotiables that are kind of negotiable. So like if it, if it has to do with food, for example, yes, it's okay for you to eat processed food when you're at your friend's house, if they offer you something to eat. No, it's not okay for you to eat 10 pieces of like 10 candy bars, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so it's good to have those conversations ahead of time. Hopefully you're also having those conversations with the other parents and establishing the boundaries, the non-negotiable things so that they don't become issues. But after the fact, you know, if they, if they do go overboard and they eat too much sugar and they get sick, you, you get to use that as an opportunity to say this consequence that you're experiencing from the choice you made, you know, and, and uh, tie those things together. 
he asks another question. He says, how can we prepare our family for when we're on the other side? When our children have friends coming over, how can we maintain our own values while being respectful of our kids, friends, and their family's values? And it's, it's the same thing. It's that team mentality. It's just the reverse. You're on team, whatever the kid's name is, mm-hmm. who is, who is your child's friend, but their, their parents are the team captains. And, and this is, this is where it gets a little bit difficult. So if you are the one that has this, you know, the stricter rules, you may not get the same kind of, uh, our, our approach in this situation is, is to respect the stricter rules of the home where you're going, as long as it doesn't come into conflict with a non-negotiable. Right. They, they may not extend the same thing to you and allow, allow you to operate your environment in that way. And so, so really it's, it's just about trying to be on the same team. And do you, do you want to take a crack at answering this too? Uh, well, I was just going to say that uh, I like the team mentality. I, I think for myself, I see it more as the village thing where we we're raising our children, but we're in a village and those children don't just belong to us. They belong to everybody. And yeah. so the friends of our kids who come over to our house, they don't just belong to their parents, but they belong to us as well. And so we, at, you know, at the very least, we need to be speaking life into those kids. And they come from very different, sometimes they come from very different backgrounds. And uh, speaking life maybe looks differently in each of those situations. But I don't know, I, I have a hard time with disciplining the kids in different ways. I think because I guess because of the definition that we have for discipline, discipline is really just teaching. Yeah. And so when, when kids who are friends of my kids come to our house, the way that we discipline is just by teaching. There was a kid who came over not too long ago and was playing and didn't want our twins who are, you know, they're like annoying three-year-olds. <laughs> he didn't want, them to play speaking life and so yeah sorry they're they're delightful and he didn't want them to play and so he kind of made a mean face and was like get away you know and so it it was my job as you know the the caretaker of this child for however long I got to take care of him to say you know that's that's not the kindest way that we can say it can we use our words to communicate what we want in a kinder way. And, you know, like there are little things that we can do here and there that can help them learn how to do something better without doing things like, you know, shame and that kind of thing. Cause it's, it's not my job. I get, well, okay. That's hard to say because if we are a village, then yes, it is my job to teach them those things. So being, being on the same team. I, I think the team metaphor works in this case because you really are the, the, cause the goal is the well-being and safety of the child. And you have your own definitions for what that looks like. Yeah. The child's parents definitions of safety and well-being trumps yours because they're the parents. They're the team leaders right. for team that child. But because you also have your own definitions, you have some freedom to operate within those as well. Mm-hmm. As long as, as long as you're not coming into conflict with, and 
and here's here's the thing too it might be a situation where there's such a conflict between their values and yours that were you to try to uphold their values in your own home it would come into conflict with things that are non-negotiable and in that case you might have to say i can't be a part of this team if you, if this is what you want me to do like if this is how you want me to deal with your child yeah and it's absolutely okay to to do that but i would i would hope that most of the time your experience would be there there are some clear boundaries and there are things that you're okay to uphold and there's this intersecting gray area where where there are some things that are negotiable yeah. that maybe aren't allowed in their home but it's okay in your home or vice versa. All right, I'm going to bring in one more question. Uh, this I, I really like this one from Megan. How do you empower your kids to tell you if a scary, uncomfortable, dangerous thing happened at their friend's house without making your child feel as if they are the one in trouble? So sometimes what happens is because they're in somebody else's home and there are adults and the adults give them permission to do something that it's, it can be confusing for a child. Even if you've talked with them beforehand, the adults who are present are saying this is okay. And the only thing I really know how to do as a child in that situation is agree with the adults because they should be in charge. They should have my best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. But then there is something, you know, in, in the back of their mind where they know this isn't okay at home. And if it's, if it's caused them harm in some way or made them feel uncomfortable, they may feel like, oh, I can't tell my parents about it because I broke a rule and they'll be mad about that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this has to do with, it, it's not just about that situation, but it's really about the communication style you have with your child. I'm really trying to get to a place where I don't have a visible emotional reaction to information that my children provide about things that they've done in accordance with or against the rules of our house. Mm -hmm. I try to be as matter of fact as I can and objective. And it's so hard because sometimes it's, it's like, you know, I do face palm and I'm like, how we I feel like we've gone over this a million times or it's something that's really inconvenient for me. And there are consequences that I have to deal with because of their decision. And I feel frustrated about that or whatever the case may be. And the more we can keep the lines of communication open and, you know, like when we, we have that scowl on our face and, and we're visibly angry about something that puts up a wall. Yeah. And, and that's not to make you feel bad about feel it's, it's absolutely okay to feel angry and frustrated. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fact of the matter is when we express that outwardly as a reaction to something that we've learned, that puts up a wall. It, it disables communication between us and our child. And so the, the most important thing is to practice keeping those lines of communication open. And it's, it, again, it's so hard. I, you know, like I, I feel like maybe 75% of the time I just wear my heart on my sleeve and I, you know, they know exactly how I feel about something and it's, it's okay. I, you know, I, but I would rather 
be able to address the information and walk them through that and then talk to them about how I feel about that situation Mm -hmm. so that they understand that the more important thing for me, which is true, it's more important to me for them to learn from those situations and to understand the reason behind the rules that we have and, and the potential consequences than for me to tell them how I feel and to make sure that they understand my feelings about it. Yeah. I just wanted to bring in here too. I, there was someone who was very important to me as a kid who, uh, she went over to a friend's house and the friend's grandfather was there. And I'm not, I'm not sharing the story to like scare parents. I'm just trying to figure out what would be a good way to handle this as a parent. But the kid, so this person I was, I was close to, she went over to a friend's house and the friend's grandparent, grandfather was there. They decided to play hide and seek. And the grandfather hides in a closet with this girl who was important to me and molested her. And the truth of that did not come out until this uh, girl who was important to me is 25 years old. And I, as a parent, you know, I'm not, I don't have daughters. And, but, but that reality is still something that could happen to our, our boys. Yeah. But as a parent, I don't, I don't know how I would approach a situation like that. How would you even talk to your kid about, Hey, did anything bad happen at this person's house? I mean, how, how would you approach a situation like that? How would you get them to talk? Because, because the thing that, that happens to kids is they either are confused by what happened. They don't really know. Um, because this, this person who was important to me was only six years old when it happened. And, and how do you, how do you approach a situation like that? Yeah, there's, so there's, there's great power one in establishing a relationship with the people where they're spending time. And I would, I would even go as far as to say, if you, if your child is going over to a friend's house and it's normally you know, the, the parents or the, the, whatever grown up is in charge. But then one day, like they have somebody else over. Mm-hmm. I, so one of, one of the non-negotiables for me is I need to know yeah who the adults are, who are in, in charge, you know, who are in, have any influence, um, in that situation. So if somebody comes over, you need to let me know and I need to be able to meet them. Right. Exactly. Cause I, I can't, I can't in good conscience allow my child to be in a situation where they're with an adult that I don't know anything about. Yeah. And I think too, it boils down to the communication because if your child feels comfortable sharing something like that and maybe asking the questions about it, yeah, then you can open that line of communication. So there's, there's an after the fact, like after they've spent time, if you, if you somehow sense that something is off, which isn't always the case, sometimes it just, yeah, it's very internal, but, but you can, you can ask them questions, but what's good to do also just very consistently always remind your child, if anything ever makes you feel uncomfortable or sad or scared, and you want to, you want to do this in a way that's not like, I'm so serious and stuff like that, but just, just say, I'm, I'm here to talk about those things and I want to know because I want to protect you. I want to keep you safe. 
and just continue to reinforce that as much as possible. Keep those lines of communication open. But one of the things that you can do that's a preventative measure is because when you when you put yourself in somebody else's life, when when you are the parent who's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm just gonna come over and introduce myself. I don't I don't feel shy about it at all. Yeah, that that can be really off putting to somebody who has bad intentions. Yeah, something. Yeah. It, it's like wow, this person is all up in my business. Right, I should probably be on my best behavior. Sometimes that doesn't stop people at all, but so I don't, I don't want you to rest on that and think that's sufficient, but it, but that directness can be really powerful. So use that, use that to your advantage. I like what Michelle said, and, and I'll just read this, uh, and then we'll sign off. Michelle in the chat room said, letting your child know that sharing something scary is brave is important to let them know that it takes courage and you're proud that they were brave in telling you something. So anytime your child shares something with you, and I've seen this with our kids, sometimes it's something really inconsequential, but you can tell that they feel uncomfortable sharing it. Like, I don't know how you're going to react or respond to this. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. So any opportunity that you have to commend your child for being brave and sharing something when you can tell that they were scared to share it with you, um, reinforcing that behavior is a great way to keep those lines of communication open so that when they are in a situation where something is truly scary and, and makes them uncomfortable or hurts them, they don't have as much of a barrier between blocking them from sharing that information with you Mm -hmm. because, because they know that you encourage that kind of openness. Matt asks, at what age do you think you can begin having those conversations with your kids? I'm tempted to start now, but I don't know if my boys are ready. It really, it, it, there's not a, a specific age, but how you talk to your kids will differ based on their age and understanding. Mm-hmm. You may have to use very basic language and just reinforce the fact that your job is to protect them and you want to keep them safe. And, and if there's anything... And just put it in really simple terms. As they get older and they understand more, you can go more into depth with them. But I don't, I don't feel that it's ever too early to establish those lines of communications with your kids. Because even if they don't understand, what you're doing is you're building a foundation. You're building a framework for the kind of communication you want to have. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, too, in... in just in talking to kids about things like the scary things like, you know, molestation and stuff early on, I think we established a practice where we would ask the boys, has anybody ever, you know, touched you here or that kind of, you know, like we, we showed them the boundaries, like you should never touch someone here. And if anybody ever touches you here, we need to know about it. Yeah. And so I think even at a young age, we can help clarify those boundaries for kids. And I feel like that's helpful to them. Not yeah. not to make them scared, but just to educate them about, because kids don't really know, you know, like they, I mean, our boys took baths together until they were like five. Some of them right. still do, six. <laughs> so they, they don't have any clue about that kind of thing, but 
you know, op- opening that conversation in a non-scary way, I guess. And you want to be careful not to let it be a weird or uncomfortable or awkward thing. You know, it's, it, it is really matter of fact. There's, there's this shamefulness. I, I think especially in this culture, there's this shamefulness in talking about that kind of thing. And so the more that we can present those things in a more matter of fact, like not in a way that, that is, that seems timid or nervous or, or like this is now, this is something that we, you know, we, we don't talk about. Right. I don't know. I like, I, I like the fact that I, I, I don't know, this might get censored. I like, I like the fact that our boys feel comfortable saying the word penis. <laughs> it's in, it's what it is in the, in the right context. It's inappropriate. It, it's so it's, there, there's not this stigma about it. it. It's really just you, you know, you having an open conversation straightforward about what these things are. And, you know, our kids pick up on when we feel uncomfortable or, mm-hmm. or shameful about something and, and they feel like, oh, well, I guess I need to feel that way about this too. So you want to be really careful about your own feelings about those things when you're communicating them to your kids. Yeah. all right on that note rachel where can people go to find us online in the boat with ben.com that is correct stop what i can see you smiling over there no i'm just i'm i I feel like this was a good show yeah you can go to in the boat with ben.com and sign up for our newsletter there are lots of Really cool things coming for In the Boat with Ben. Right now we've got the podcast. Rachel and I were talking earlier about the possibility of doing a column, having a blog. There's some other fun things that are going on. The newsletters where you can hear about all of that first. And, and well, no, there is another place where you can hear about this first, and that's at seanwest.com slash community. Mm-hmm. Go there right now. Check it out. The community is such a cool place. The, the community is what makes all of these shows possible. And it's just filled with great people who, I, I mean, we would have stuff to talk about without these people. We could, we could talk, but the conversation just wouldn't be nearly as rich because the people in the community are amazing and they contribute so much and they have so much value to offer every day, e- even outside of these shows. And so you definitely owe it your, uh, to yourself to check that out. And you get all the inside scoops if you're in the community. Most of them. If you want to find Rachel, she's at racheltolson.com. I am. <laughs> Kyle says it will either be censored or make it into, in, into the intro. It's because Aaron Dowd, our podcast editor, does what he wants. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. He's a rebel. I might be fired. We'll see. If you want to find Rachel, she's at racheltolson.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Tolson, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Tolson. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Yep. Thank you. We'll see you next week.
So this week was my first sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, it is all it's cracked up to be and more. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely fantastic. I know, I mean, I talked about it before, but now that I've experienced it, I, I have so much work to go back to next week. Like next week is going to be insane. Yeah. And I couldn't be more excited. Yeah. Because I, I, I you're prepared now. Right. I, yeah. I feel like I'm going into it so rested. I'm like, bring it on, you know? And at the beginning of the week, I, I set some fairly high expectations for myself. And I realized early on, and I'm so thankful that I did, that that this week couldn't serve its purpose if I kept that level of expectation on myself. I had to let it be what it was going to be. So I relaxed and instead of doing what I originally set out to do was record some songs that, that you and I have written, mm -hmm. I decided to add some songs for In the Boat with Ben. If you're, if you're listening to this after show, what you may not realize is that we have a pre-show before we start the show, we actually go on the air and we chat a little bit and we share some stuff. And during that pre-show, we have music going. And then in the after-after show, that happens after this part of the show, we put the music on again. And and it's similar. The, the music is, well, I, I call it nautical themed mm -hmm. because it's in the boat with Ben, you know, so it kind of goes along. So the, what you hear is as the intro song, um, I have other songs that kind of go along with that that are in the same style. And so I, uh, I worked on those. I worked on, I, I created two new songs and then I also uh, completed one that was only partially finished. And the intro song itself uh, is only a partially finished thing and I, I'm going to be spending some time this afternoon after this, uh, the recording of the show, finishing that out. Yep. So it's, it, it, it's been productive, but it's also been really laid back and really wonderful. And, and I got some great music out of it that I can now use for this show. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So how's your sabbatical been? It's been good. I've been, uh, I mostly spent the sabbatical learning new things. So things about, you know, author platform and book marketing and that kind of thing. It's been very informative, but I, I start itching to get back to just the writing. So, yeah. And I have like a, it's, it's almost like a, at the, at the end of my sabbatical week, I just have all of these ideas crop up, which I'm glad for. I'd rather have ideas than not have ideas. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? I can't do all 15 of these. Right. So, so it's also a practice in reigning in i guess i just uh, there there was a point in my life where i had to accept the fact that i would never see all of my ideas through to completion at one time i even kept a journal where i wrote each of them down thinking at some point in my life i'll get to each of these oh yeah i have like how much did i showed you it was like five pages of books that i want to write like idea yeah. book ideas that i have there's no way that i would get to that i feel really sad about that you you can feel sad about it, but then at the same time, I, this is I kind of go the other direction. I just feel like, you know, it's miraculous that any of the ideas that I have, <laughs> it it really is. It doesn't matter how productive you are and whatever. It's when 
when an idea, when something started in your brain and then it becomes this physical thing, well, I mean, whatever it is, whether it's a video or a drawing or a painting or a book or whatever, when it actually comes to life and, and it's, and it's done and, and here it exists now, that's miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty miraculous. I just want to clone myself though. <laughs> 